Hey guys, like always, go to uh, iTunes and your Apple Podcast app uh, and go ahead and rate the show. Give me, give me some stars, hopefully five if you like the content. Um, other than that, just the social media stuff. Go to the Facebook page, follow us, review us on the Facebook page, Average Joe's Above Average Beer Podcast. And you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's where I do most of my posting and beer porn. It's going to be on Instagram at Average Joe's Beer Podcast. And then um, finally, Untapped and, and Twitter. I know Twitter's not really that great of a, a tool for this type of thing anymore, but uh, if you could follow me on Untapped and Twitter, it's at JoeBob41. So I had a couple other little things to cover. The festivals in the near future here. Uh, I think there's still some tickets left for Crafted 1979's uh, Small Batch or Experimental Fest. Uh, it's crazy. It's going to be 16 breweries there. I'm talking about like Hot Butcher, Noon Whistle, Triptych, Little Beaver, Old Irving, Open Outcry, um, Afterthought. Uh, this current episode is going to be with uh, Mike Thorpe at Afterthought, but... Uh, the greatest saisons in the Illinois, uh, in the Chicagoland area. They're amazing. You need to come check them out. But there's just a ton of breweries, and I know I didn't name all of them, but Brickstone's going to be there. There's going to be some great stuff. A lot of the brewers will be there, um, so you're going to get a chance to meet the brewers. There's 60 people, 16 sixtals of one-offs and things. Uh, you really can't beat that. And then uh, the Bolingbrook Brew Fest as well. Uh, hashtag BBK Fest, uh, third annual. It's at McHugh's in Bolingbrook, the barbecue joint. Uh, so I'll be giving away some more tickets for that. Um, if you just share the podcast, if you just share the episodes out, you, you get a chance to win win some free tickets to the Bolingbrook Brew Fest. Uh, that's going to be on October the 13th. Um, I think it's from 12 to 4. It's going to be pretty cool. There's some great breweries, 20-some-odd breweries there as well, I believe. So yeah, I went out to Lombard and, and talked to talked to Mike Thorpe over at Afterthought Brewing. Just a tiny little brewery focused on saisons that you know hopefully will be expanding. You can get them at the beer cellar in Glen Ellen. Go see Dave Holly and say what's up. But here's Mike from Afterthought Brewing. <laughs> Thank you, first of all, for letting me have some time. I know you're a busy man. You're not just uh, a brewer. Uh, you got other things going on. You got family and uh, kids and other jobs to worry about. But uh, introduce yourself. Tell tell my listeners who I'm talking to and where we're at. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Mike Thorpe, one of the owners, along with my wife, of Afterthought Brewing here in Lombard. We focus on saisons for the most part, or saison-inspired beers. Uh, I'm one of the brewers, although I brew a little less frequently now that we've got uh, two additional brewers on, uh, Danny and Chuck, who have been with us for a couple months now. Okay, so you have two brewers on. Okay, so how long have you had the head guys on? Since early June. Since early, okay, so that's not too long ago. Yeah, Danny, I, we think was early June, and then Chuck was late June, or like the first day of July, something like that. We could probably look at the tape on one of the barrels, because it's, it's written on there. <laughs> there you go. So how, I mean, you, you, you talked about being a Cezanne-focused, you know, facility. Like, how long have you been at this? So I started homebrewing, so yeah, I started homebrewing in... Uh, early 2011, actually, New Year's Day 2011. My wife got me all the stuff uh, New for Year's Christmas. New Year's Day 2011. Oh, wow. Christmas 2010. Oh. So I brewed, you know, a decent range of styles. Although after, you know, six months to a year, focused in pretty heavily on just doing saisons. And from there, that's about all I've done other than a token uh, pale ale or 
session coffee stout here or there to have on tap in our basement to please uh, people <laughs> over for football games. Oh, yeah. But we, uh, my wife and I took a, bit, a trip to Belgium in uh, late 2011, mostly at that time, at least to go to Lambic places and a lot of the Trappist breweries and ended up absolutely falling in love with everything that we had from De La Seine. And from there on out, it just became like more and more Saison. Just obsessed. Just a complete <laughs> obsession, yeah. <laughs> so what were you drinking before then? I mean, you know, before you got your first homebrew kit, were you already like up deep into beer as it was? I mean, you like trying everything or? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that was a year and a half after we got married and we got married in summer of 09 and our honeymoon was a trip around the country, like three week trip, just visiting breweries. God dang. So you were already deep into beers, just the Sasan kind of solidified itself after that trip, after you got your first homebrew. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we had been brewing for a little bit, and then, you know, I liked Saison's, but nothing had, like, ever, like, really, really clicked, and that's what did it. It's not that style that everybody's chasing down, you know? It's like, it's, it's, I feel like it's a style that'd be hard to get into as the focus, or like, you know, you don't hear that story a lot where it's like, man, I just knocked my socks off. But I guess when you're doing it in Europe, you're probably getting a higher level at that point in time where the beer world was at 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you were hitting some high level stuff. So, like, what were some of the places in Germany that, or in overseas that kind of inspired you when you were looking for lambics and whatnot? So, you know, obviously we wanted to go to Dre Fontenen uh, as my favorite and, and Cantillon as well. And a lot of the, you know, we were staying right near Motor Lambic in downtown Brussels. Uh, you know, they've got like, you know, $5 or $5 euro, I guess, hand pump, uh, Rosetta Gambrinus and Fafuna at that point. So we're going there. This is right next to our hotel. And um, all the bartenders are saying, try Delicent. You'll really like it. And I just everything they had, and they've had, you know, at that point, bottles that I'd never even heard of. One like, was blended with Cantillon Lambic and just everything that they had. It was, you know, by far and away the best stuff that we had on the trip. And so I ventured out. There was uh, Jean Drain, Jean Drenoui. I'm sure I'm butchering that because I don't speak French. <laughs> I don't know. You sound pretty smart right now. <laughs> I, I can use Google Translate for <laughs> beers will attest to. Um, but I don't actually speak French. I'd like to learn someday uh, when I have more time. But uh, we That's really, never going to happen, by No, the way. it's never <laughs> going to happen. Uh, so yeah, just had a great time. I mean, obviously before then, you know, we, Orval had been on our trip, you know, Saison-esque, I guess, beer. It fits, you know, within the same general family and really, really loved that. And obviously like stuff like DuPont and we went to Phantom on that trip, but just something about the, the range of things that De La Seine was doing between blending it with Lambic and then just Terrace Balbo, which is the perfect beer, which if people aren't familiar, is like a 4%. I am not. So 4% Belgian pale ale. That's, you know, all noble hops, super dry, super refreshing. It's basically like the best Pilsner you've ever had, but with more interesting yeast. Really? Yeah. Like where can you even find something like that? I mean, you can't get it here. I I think, uh, yeah, you can get it here. Um, I think beer cellar uh, has some, or at least had some. I know that, uh, uh, Beer Temple, if you're in Chicago, had it. You know, places around, I'm sure, have it. I know that it was a pretty large drop because they're distributed okay. by Shelton Brothers. Uh, okay, so it is. It does get widely distributed out here then. I yeah, just you just need have to get to familiar f- with it. Yeah, I've been doing my best every time I'm on a podcast or anything. I make sure to mention <laughs> that beer, one, because it's my, probably my favorite beer, and two, because the more people who buy it, the fresher it'll be and the more drops we'll get. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great plan. I like I like the long play you're making on that. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, that's so the entire reason we started like a brewery, so me. I could get interviewed and I right could get now. fresher Terrace Bulba. <laughs> it's all about you. Jeez, Mike. That's a great game plan, though. Uh, so at one point, we will launch into a long conversation about how much we like Dave Holly, but, uh, you know, <laughs> well, maybe we'll save that for a little later. Um, so the, with with this style, like, explain, can you explain, like, in, with words, how, how, you kind of became attracted to it other than like trying the good ones. I mean, like what is it about that style? And if, even if you want to break it down, cause some people I don't think understand the style, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain it as like a style per se. I think of it more as a family of beers in the same way that you might describe like Saison to me would analogize to hoppy. Like, it is in theory maybe a really broad style, but encompasses a lot of things. You know, hoppy obviously being defined by beers that have a prominent hop character, whereas saisons are all going to be, you know, if they're made properly, should be yeast forward, really dry, crisp, refreshing. And they can be, you know, as expansive as you get from, you know, a New England to a, a black IPA to something like Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. You could, you know, have a clean, crisp, blonde saison that's basically a pilsner with some uh a yeast of belgian or french origin or even wild origin and then you could go something that's you know foraged ingredients like what a place like scratch is scratch. doing and adding all sorts scratch of you always know, comes out stuff that you can find <laughs> you know they're inspired by the belgian and french countryside tradition from a few hundred years ago where they you know basically like a lot of places around the world so i mean i guess it was defined more by the yeast that you know ended up being curated in that area, but just finding ingredients that were local to you and using those to the best of your ability and where that's evolved, at least, you know, originally, you know, it was almost essentially a dying style until, you know, I, I think it was like the early nineties that Van Bergen Wolf, uh, Van Bergen DeWolf, uh, picked up Cezanne DuPont and brought it to the States and DuPont from what I've read thought they were crazy and nobody was ever going to buy it. And it you know, was nearly a dead style. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I think you know, it's certainly not, you know, something being chased around right now, but it's, I don't think it's anywhere on the verge of dying. No, not, not even close. I think it's, I, I yeah, for, you know, cause I, I stick a lot, you know, stick to that trend line a lot in my beer nerdery and, you know, a lot of the guys in, in the world now that are buying most of the beer there, they stick to that kind of line of the big stouts, New England IPAs, but, you know, currently, but I think, uh, it makes you appreciate the saison when you have a good one, you know, it's, it's something that's, that not everybody can do properly. Right. I mean, it's, at least that's the way that my experience has gone. You can't just make one and be like, here, look, we made one, you know, we usually do hoppy beers, but here's a saison and then have it be like super successful and well-received. I feel like it takes a little more care and love to make these beers. Yeah. I, I think there's a little bit of a learning curve to it. I mean, I still can't make a decent pale ale. So I mean, there's, <laughs> I've heard that there's, from a, a, lot there's of people, a learning man. curve to, uh, to a lot of things. And I guess it's just what you devote your time and effort to, but you know, that's a great thing that I, I guess we don't see too much in the U S but you see so much, um, when you go back to your, you know, European heritage where you see breweries in Germany making a very small subset of styles and you have a place like Orval that, you know, makes one beer and, you know, they've got a you know, lower alcohol version for the monks. And, you know, likewise, you know, Trappist Breweries West Flutter and they've got, what, three beers. They've got a Belgian, or, you know, a single, a double and a quad and a lot of other breweries like that um, over there that kind of find their niche and 
really kind of hone their craft. You know, it certainly doesn't hurt that some of those breweries have been around for a few hundred years yeah. and have developed recipes. I've heard and, the cool things about like going to see them and like their equipment and, you know, everything's just old and open air and the wild. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, it's, a, it's a different feeling. Like uh, John Laffler used the term on here on, on my show called, uh, he's called the, the fermentation forward, you know, that's what he loves. And I think you mentioned kind of the fermentation kind of sticking out in the style and the flavor. Um, I mean, I, that's always an interesting subject to me, you know, either like hot forward or, you know, your fermentation forward. What, what does fermentation forward mean to you? I mean, is yeast a flavor to you? Is it? Yeah. I mean, with these beers, I think yeast is absolutely the driving or if not the driving, one of the, the driving factors, not only, you know, just, you know, obviously yeast is always producing the alcohol and, and that's going to give you some of the character of the beer even if you don't you know, like detect any actual flavors from the yeast, but with, you know, the, what we can loosely describe as Saison strains, you're either going to get ester forward, uh, which would be more fruity character. You know, it could be citrus. It could be tropical fruit. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's usually not like the banana character that you're getting from, uh, from some, you know, German Hefeweizens or things like that. Or, you know, some in particularly a lot of the European, uh, Saison strains are more phenolic and that they've got more of that kind of like black pepper and clove character. Or you could obviously have a mix of the two. And then when you throw Britannomyces in the mix, that can convert a lot of those flavors into something wholly different. And it, it's when you're letting, the, you know, a living organism drive, you know, the majority of the flavor of the beer, it's, it's pretty hard to be cons- super consistent from batch to batch. You're never going to make it, you know, exactly the same. At least, you know, when you've got, you know, like we do, a not, it's, I don't even know how many strains of Saccharomyces, Britannomyces, and, you know, it's got stuff that, you know, just fell off of, you know, trees in our yard. So I have no idea what's in it at this point. So, you know, each fermenter, even if it's the same wort going into two different barrels, it frequently tastes quite a bit different, or one takes significantly longer than the other. So you're at the whims of the little bugs. It's a lot. It's a lot that goes into that, man. There's a lot, a lot of science. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of components that go into making these beers. And like you said, they got it's got to be one that's not always an easy one to 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 recreate one after another, right? No, not at all. That's. I mean, when I've talked to people about it, I try to describe you know the differences from batch to batch. Is you know you shouldn't think a beer is necessarily like a commoditized product. I mean, even hops, you know, much to a much lesser extent tastes different from crop to crop. And there's a reason why, you know, great IPA brewers go out, you know, to the hop fields and crack, crap them open and you're smelling the lupulin powder and seeing, you know, which, you know, which field do you want? Um, you know, cause it's, you're dealing with agricultural products, but you know, I try to analogize it to wine because a lot of people are familiar with that, that, you know, each year, you know, like this is Chardonnay or this is Pinot Noir but it's not going to taste identical from year to year. And the same thing with, you know, beers that we're making it, it's more of a concept than a, a set beer and that it'll have the same types of flavors and the same general base recipe. Uh, but it's not going to be identical. Now for you, uh, when you're, when you're here and you don't have access to a bunch of stuff overseas, like what, who have you found around in the, in the either Illinois or just the country itself that, that you're like, okay, this is, this is a good version of this. I mean, so in terms of what we can get around here all the time, I think, you know, at least locally or semi-locally, um, definitely Jolly Pumpkin. I absolutely love Jolly Pumpkin, and they were probably, you know, alongside St. Somewhere, but I think a little bit before St. Somewhere, the first brewery in the U.S. really doing, 
you know, what, you know, loosely described as saisons or farmhouse ales and doing a lot of it. Farmhouse ale. People ask that question all the time. You're like, what does that mean? Why is it a farmhouse ale? Is there, I mean, isn't there like history behind it is, you know, the, just the, the workers in the fields and that. Uh, the, yeah. Traditionally it would have been done for the saisonniers, which were the, was the French word for like a seasonal worker. So they'd be brewed with excess ingredients, you know, from the harvest. And it was a way of storing ingredients essentially. It was just turning them into beer. And also they would be low alcohol, crisp, refreshing, because oftentimes they were the drinks of the, the saisonniers who were working out in the field on the harvest. Yeah, it's always it's always an interesting history to to those uh, different styles, and you you hear that that story regurgitated by a lot of people. That's it, it doesn't always seem clear to everybody like why it's called such a you know farmhouse versus that, like a place like uh, Jester King out in Austin. Like they pretty much focus on that style completely. I mean, are you a fan of theirs? Do you ever visit out there? Or? I have not visited. I would I would really love to. Yeah. Petite Prince is one of my favorite beers. That's their like I think it's like two point nine percent. Isn't that crazy? Uh, noble hop, barrel aged or barrel fermented at least, Saison. That's just incredible. And just the pictures coming out of that place and everything they're doing from the local ingredients to the, the farmland that they have going now and just the the ambiance of it, from what I can tell at least, looks absolutely stunning. So at that least is, for now, I have to settle for just trying to, to buy their beers when they occasionally hit the yeah. shelves in Chicago. Yeah, you see them around now. I mean, I see them at a lot of the bottle shops now. Uh, yeah, that that is one of the like, the very few cool places I actually was fortunate enough to visit just because by default my cousin lives there in Austin and she took me there when I went to visit her last year. And like you're saying, like the, the pictures and stuff, I, I tell everybody like, I would want to be buried there. That would be the place. So just the mm-hmm. visual on it, the outdoor, everything. There's just it, it, It's just pure goodness all over that place. And the cellar menu they have, you can go up there and get a you know an older bottle of something that they've had for a couple of years just just a really cool place in general but they're again one of these breweries that i think in the current climate it's like wait they just focus on farmhouse like what that's all they do i mean that's kind of a, a line that you're on right now yeah and they're, they're certainly an inspiration because i've been drinking their beers you know since actually since you know close to when they started i was living in virginia at that point but had heard about them and what they were planning to do and was really really excited about it so yeah i mean they're certainly an inspiration to us and you know there are other breweries you know around the country and around the world that are along similar lines but that's you know exactly what we ideally like to do going into the future is you know always have eventually a tap room right here in lombard because I, I live here and i want to be able to walk to our tap room but then have a, a larger production place, you know, a little further out west probably and uh, be able to have at least, you know, some farming there. I, I mean, I'm not a farmer, so I won't know how to do like full scale stuff, but at You'll least learn. like <laughs> all sorts of like random fruits and stuff that you and fruits and herbs that we can grow that nobody does on a commercial scale around here. We can, you know, mess around with that sort of stuff and, you know, buy our cherries from a local farmer. I mean, that's, it, it, you just have such a unique thing going on right now. And, and, and it's like, I think I told you before we started, though, I was introduced to you by, uh, by Ryan Jacobs uh, from St. Laurent when they, he, Corridor, uh, Roger Kazilis, and, and then the guys from St. Laurent did their sh- episode together. Like, I think we did it in March or something. And we were sitting at Corridor and, you know, two hours into a three hour podcast, Ryan mentions you know, this afterthought, because we, I think it was because we had an Arthur Frawley, I think from Hill Farmstead open mm-hmm. on the table and he, one of the best beers in the world, by I the mean, way. It's, record, yeah. it's <laughs> so good. I, I was lucky to even, you know, get to taste it that night. And, uh, he, he just kept talking about this place after that. And he said it on the podcast, you know, he said it during the recording and he's, 
and he tells me, you know, it's only at the beer cellar in, in Glen Ellen. And I came out and me and uh, I told my friend about it. He's a big fan of the style and he's having a hard time finding great ones. And I sent him over there and he's like, I found three beers from him on the shelf. I brought him home and he brought one over and it was, we were blown away. I mean, Ryan actually says in the podcast, like Hill Farmstead level Saison's like that. That's how he described what you do. I mean, I know it's probably weird for you to hear. It's got to be weird to have people like compliment you in your face like that and, or like other brewers even just talking like that. But seriously, like what, like what's the deal, man? I, I first it's probably not true. Oh, <laughs> I don't one. know. It's pretty good. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's great. That's the sort of thing that we aspire to, especially as we grow and we're able to get more barrels, get the culture a little bit more developed to have, you know, a bigger blending stock. I think we had a lot more blended beer when we first started out. Cause at that point I was trying to figure out what we were doing with a bunch of different things. And I was, had, you know, even like homebrew carboys and I, can really package a homebrew carboy and sell it. I mean, I guess you could sell like two cases of one beer, uh, but you know, ended up just blending a lot of it. And that's, you know, the more barrels that we have now, I'm really excited to have different types of barrels and be able to blend in different things. And we've got a few things coming into the fall where I've been trying to use different herbs, use different hops with the goal of having, you know, something, something fun to blend with. Well, that's, that's, that's like half the, the fun of this stuff, right, is blending, isn't it? That's what I keep hearing. It's, yeah, the, yeah, the blending, the tasting, I mean, to me, that's all of it, like, because that's, that's what makes our beer our beer. I mean, for the most part, we've, for the most part, all of our bottles are conditioned just using our house culture. It's exactly what it was fermented with is what's in the bottle. So you could grow it up and reuse it if you wanted to. Um, but, I mean, so much of it is, you know, when is it done? What are we going to blend it with? Oh, should we dry hop this? Should we put some herbs in it. Should we blend it with something else? Should we wait a little while? I mean, so much of it is just what, you know, we like and taste and what we think we want to do with it that I think that's kind of hard to replicate. So it's not so much about the, you know, the actual recipe or anything like that. Uh, with that said, if you are a homebrewer, some bottles are done with champagne yeast because if we haven't brewed in a long enough period of time uh, and we don't have any fresh yeast uh, from the blend and we really need to, you know, culture it back up. Uh, to a pitchable level, then we have used champagne yeast in some stuff. So, where are you getting? Uh, what are you getting your yeast and your ingredients from? It's just all over the place. I mean, are you using a place like Omega Yeast or? You know? Yeah. So we, um, for the most part, I mean, I have in a pinch when we've needed some yeast because the culture was a little old. We needed to spike it back up. I've just gone to like homebrew shops and got whatever saison strains that they had. Uh, but for the most part, when we've ordered like actual sizable pitches of things. It's generally been from Omega, and we've ordered, I think, every Saison strain that they have in stock now, although mm -hmm. now they have a, a table beer because one of their uh, people yeah. made a Matt's table beer with uh, uh, Imperial Oak. I haven't had a chance to go down and try it yet, but I you know, asked, you know, it sounds like you've got a, you know, whatever strain you made this, uh, this with, is it new? Cool stuff. And so they're gonna, I think they're shipping that to us on, on Monday. That's awesome. So we get to play around with that. Uh, but then it's just blending that with the house culture that we've developed over time, which is pretty much every commercial Saison strain out there, plus a few different Britannomyces strains, plus Lambic dregs, plus my own homebrew attempts at trying to do spontaneous fermentation. So all that stuff is all all mixed in there. Just trying it all out. See what happens. Well, you know, like you said, they're the little, bu the little bugs, and it's just like, see what they do. Uh, now let's, let's, what about you? I mean, personally, you talked about your first homebrew and all that, but like, what, like, where'd you come from? Where'd you, where'd you, where'd you start, get a start in beer? I mean, just in, started enjoying it other than like Bud Lights and Miller, you know? Yeah. So 
when I was in college, we did have a, I went to U of I and we had a bar called Murphy's that had like pint glass nights on Wednesdays. Uh, a lot of times it was, you know, crappy beer, but sometimes they had stuff from Bell's or Goose Island or even back then, you know, Lining Kugel was, was better, a uh, better option. So it was cheaper and you can get it by the pitcher. And from there it kind of rolled into occasionally, you know, tasting different things and uh, found out about Sierra Nevada and started drinking that uh, when I could. And it, it wasn't until I think it was the summer of 2008, my wife and I were in DC for the summer and uh, one of my coworkers at our at my summer job said he, it was he was from Delaware and said you should go to this place Dogfish Head, it's really cool and it's only like two hours away. And we're like yeah we got nothing else to do, and we we're just like totally blown away by everything. But the the one I remember was Paulo Santo had just come out, and them telling the story about them finding this you know obscure at least to us Peruvian wood and thinking like oh we should make a huge barrel out of this and then age an imperial brown ale on it and it was so good and so different than anything I'd ever had and th- I think that's the point where it like really spiraled out of control like all right something's going on here and then, so so you you said your wife is also part owner in this she's with you on these adventures now mm-hmm. like so she's into beer man big oh, time yeah. yeah yeah big time yeah so she's she's like is this her style too she likes you know a lot of the sitsons and stuff like that, or she yeah, she I mean she likes all pretty much map. everything yeah. other than she doesn't like Hefeweizens. I, Banana I think clothes don't it. do it for her. Huh? Yeah, that's the one thing she doesn't like. Oh, that's pretty funny. That, that that's a weird style to just like not like. I feel like it's pretty easy, you know, pretty generally accepted. Yeah, I think accepted. the one that I'm not like totally huge on. I'm not really a big fan of smoked beers, but I think that's probably not a very unpopular. Yeah, I think you might take. be in the same boat as a lot of people, but. A uh, little bit, a hint I can do, but like smoky smoke. It's got to be real. Me. I mean, it might just be the fact that I've never had one that was really done well. You know, that that could be it. I don't like to blame other people. I like to blame myself most of the time when it comes to whether I like or dislike something. It's like, it might just be me. Yeah, that, that could be it. <laughs> so the, the time goes by, you're, you get your dogfish head experience, you know, you get your homebrew kit, you get you know, 2011 rolls around. So when is it becoming a reality? Like, like you think you may be able to make beer and people might want it. So, I mean, it was something that I hope to do eventually, like at least as like a side gig of, I mean, like we're doing now of some sort. And so, so while you're thinking that, what are you doing currently at this time when you're, when you were thinking that, like, what was your actual occupation? Oh yeah. So I I was and still am an attorney. (laughs) God damn. Why are you guys all so smart? You guys are all so so like successful people. I'm telling you, just there's no, I never talk to anybody on this show that doesn't have like some sort of a reasonable career. If not, doc, Ryan's a doctor. Ryan Jacobs, the guy who told me about you. Uh-huh. Uh, wow. You know, I, I've talked to four or five lawyers. John Brand over at Open Outcries from the futures industry. I mean, it's it's just a. I think that there's a, there used to be a misconception to be like, these are just some dudes that tried brewing beer in their garage and then they wanted to upscale and then they, you know, they just learned. I don't think people realize like, I don't know, the education that's in this field. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's a little bit of an escape. It's an outside hobby. I mean, for me, this is really is, you know, hobby turned into, you know, technically professional, but, you know, quasi professional. It's still something I do on the nights and weekends. And I mean, in reality, this, you know, this is my hobby. This is what I like to do. It just turns out that we make a tiny <laughs> bit of money just from a, it now. Very uh, given, small given margin. The volume. Let's, At least get the let's tax not get right out the con- misconception that you're getting a bunch of money from that. <laughs> He's rolling in it now. 
No. Yeah, making eleven barrels a year, I would not right. advise quitting your day job. I don't that. know if people understand that either. Outside, like that, the it's, it's not a lucrative thing to do, you know. Outside of maybe like owning Lagunitas or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that'd turn out well. I'm for sure you. that'd probably be all right, but but yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that, uh, and I think you're in that stage right now. You talked about, uh, you know wanting eventually to have a tap room and things like that. But right now it's like you said, it's a hobby. It's a hobby that, I mean, is your goal you think to, to turn it into not such a hobby? Yeah. Someday. I mean, when I, when I retire, you know, whether, whenever that may be, uh, but I'd certainly like to keep it growing and, you know, be as involved as I can. But obviously as we, you know, we've got Chuck and Danny now from there, we expand out and have more people. I think soon we're going to try to hire somebody just to do packaging and labeling because, that's getting beyond what they can do on brew days and what I can do on nights and weekends, especially as we kind of, the goal, I think early next year is probably to scale up and do three and a half or five barrel system, get a a fooder or two, some bigger fermenters, more barrels. And then, you know, is my wife likes to remind me like, cause I'm like, Oh yeah, we could totally rent this place. We could turn it into a tap room. And she's like, you don't have any beer for a tap room. You have beer. And so that's, that's that's a very good point. Um, so we need a bigger system before we can do that unless people are going to do like double brew days every day, uh, which we don't want to have happen. And so scale up from there, um, you know, make more beer and if people continue to like to buy it, cause it was like, as you've said, you know, it's, it's a fairly small subset of beer drinkers drinking this sort of thing, but hopefully, you know, as time goes on, it, it expands out because I mean, I think it's got a lot of the same characteristics that draw people to other beers. I mean, you know, generally speaking, sour beers become, you know, more popular over time, especially with, you know, fruited sour stuff like, you know, the fruited Berliners or Gozas and pale ales, obviously. And, you know, Saison's a lot of times you you might be combining a little bit of those two things because you can, you know, play around with the, with the yeast strains and the bread strains. And I mean, yeast or bread is a type of yeast, but you know, you can clean yeast and Britannomyces and you can get a a lot of fruity flavors. You can pair that with new world hops and you can get a lot of the same character, um, that's in, you know, an IPA, not exactly the same, you know, it's got a little different stuff going on, but it's still at the same time, you've got the yeast profile, but you've got a dry, fairly bitter, at least for, you know, what else is with it, beer. Um, I actually had somebody describe it to me once, which I thought was great, but nobody else seems to pick up on or like, or agree with me with, but it struck me as, like kind of like pale ale meets white wine for a lot of saisons. Okay. Pale ale meets white wine. Yeah, I can see that. You get that little bit of uh, acidity and things that, that and you get that brings. touch of acidity. I uh-huh. like to, you know, I like to get like hope. Some of the fruit beers end up a little more acidic just cuz you know the nature of the fruit itself and the fact that they spend more time fermenting so they're exposed to the culture a little bit longer, but for the most part I like stuff to be what I describe like a white wine or lemonade type type tartness. The dry and tart type yeah. type feel. I mean I think it also takes, you know, it takes somebody to introduce others to that better version of that beer. You know, it's not saying that I'm not saying there isn't a great one out there already, but I mean, you know, as more people are going to try your stuff, you know, it's going to put more people into that style and hopefully it expands, you know, that, that, that drive to it. Cause I've had plenty of, you know, I'm a, I would call myself an IPA guy. I hate to say that, but you know, it's, I'm basic. What can you say? But, but I've had IPAs that I t- 
completely hate it. You know, it doesn't mean I hate IPAs. You know, it means right, yeah. like the, I didn't get the right one. You know? Yeah, you just need more. And it's such as you know, the, you know, quote unquote style. It's so wide ranging. Yeah. You know, it could be something that's you know, tart and barrel aged with fruit, or it could you know where saison was originally the base, or it could be something like Terrace Bulba where it's light and crisp and hoppy. Any number of things in between. So you the spectrums. There's a, just... it's a wide range of things, and you know, as as time goes on, we hope to explore. You know, more of those. We're going to try to, we've got a, a table beer with Cascade coming out that's got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of funk and maybe a very minor tartness, but it's mostly, you know, just the straight Saccharomyces with, uh, with some Cascade hops that I'm excited about. It's ready once we just need to get the labels. I love the, that, that term and the style, uh, the table beer. Um, can you, can you explain the table beer? I don't think a lot of people are familiar with that style. Yeah. So table beer, you know, is usually when it's called a table beer, usually somebody, it's more of something that's, you know, inspired by Belgian tradition, but it kind of fits along the same lines as like a session ale. Uh, traditionally it was a table style beer and, you know, the ABV would be pretty low. You know, it's crept up over time. And, you know, I remember, like, debates back in, you know, five years ago where people were like, oh, 4.5% a session. No, it's 4%. No, it's 5%. You know, whatever it might be. But lower alcohol. You know, I'd like to, as we mentioned, the Jester King is, you know, I think, like, 2.9%. And we make yeah. uh, Petite Mirror, which is, like, 32 or 3.3%, something like that. That's in, uh, what's the, the Little Friends or something from Off Color? I think Off Color's got a table yeah, beer. Yeah, they did a really good and table like beer. two-something, I feel like. It's really was it, was House Lion one? I don't know. I thought it was called Little Friend. Yeah, it was something. Little Friend was the, was the yeah, the table beer. And I think they also did House Lion, which okay. was uh, it was a version of one of their other, you know, 750-milliliter format bottles. Uh, names escaping me now. But I think they did one that was like a bigger version of Apex Predator. But it's with Galaxy and Brett. And I, I, the name's totally escaped me right now but then they did the the table lion which i think was like a toned down version oh okay yeah that's i mean it's i think it's a, a style that not enough people have tried yet you know it's a, no it's great i mean i love you know i love beer and i love drinking beer but i don't really like being drunk so i i really appreciate you know a good like three or four percent beer so we try to keep ours on the lower end i mean i don't think we've had anything that's over certainly not over five and a half percent so nothing you put out even correct oh yeah. wow See, I didn't, even, I didn't even notice that, but I've I've had about maybe five to six different versions of your beer. Which that, I mean, that's a good transition to your current state right now. Your current state is you're available at the beer cellar, right? That's is it. Am I wrong about that? That's correct. For Everything? at least you know to go bottles, we've done um, for to go bottles, right? Yeah, we've had kegs out kegs, there. Yeah, right at the Beer Temple, Green Lady, Publican, or some of the recent ones in Chicago. But yeah, I, I think we're talking ten total kegs probably outside of the beer temple <laughs> or i'm sorry outside of the beer cellar keeping it small keeping it small yeah so, one of the other things i don't really like kegging because i to clean them i have to take them apart and then put them back together just, just like the corny kegs yeah though actually the, you'll the just see over the side yeah i've got some corny kegs yeah. filled now because um i think they're gonna a few places uh are able to use them i think beer cellar they'll be able to put those on. Uh, they've told me at the beer temple, I think they can do that. Yeah, there's I, probably I think not a ton of them out there. That not can... a ton of them out there, but I think what it is too, and it's becoming more common is places that have um, like nitro coffee. Coffee, yeah. Too, a lot of the those coffee roasteries are using corny kegs. The old soda keg. The old soda yeah. kegs. So if they've got the setup for that, they might have to take off their coffee for I a mean, little e- bit. Even my, my, I have a double barrel kegerator at home. I have one side is corny, one side is one side is sanky just you know so i can get a commercial keg and then have a homebrew on or whatever you know like you said coffee whatever i can whatever i want to do 
Yeah, and they actually make little conversions now that are amazing. There's actually one on the, on the table off. at your feet that they're uh, like the corny posts that screw on to like a sand key coupler. So if you convert your, so if you've got like a a corny line, then basically you can use these adapters and then just do have the quick disconnects like any homebrewer who kegs would be familiar with and you can pop the lines on and off so i actually have all of our lines and our kegerator at home like that even when i've got you know half acre revolution kegs on tap mm-hmm. i still use that conversion kick because it's so easy for like cleaning lines or just moving things around better, yeah. in a crowded keyser that you all your your gas and your liquid lines pop off and you can just move them out of the way that's good. That's good tip there for anybody. anybody and yeah, anybody out there, I'll just pitch that idea. Reconvenient, reconvenientize your uh, kegerators and your keezers and whatnot. Uh, so, can you explain that? I mean, I you know, I've had Dave. I had Dave on the podcast recently, and we talked a little bit about you and that relationship. So, like, how did that start? Like, how did you and Dave kind of form that bond to have kind of trust him with your beer? Yeah. So I've I've known Dave uh, for almost as long as we've lived in Illinois. Again, I'm from here. Uh, but we, my wife and I lived in uh, Northern Virginia and Alexandria, just outside of D.C. from 2009 to 2013. And we moved back and moved to Lombard. And at that point, Dave was the beer buyer at 20 West, which was a few blocks from our house. And he would host, I think it was monthly, weekly, I don't remember, because we only got to go to like two before he opened up the beer cellar, tastings there. Uh, so we met him, and he said he was opening up beer cellar, and I was like, oh, that's fantastic, you know, we'll be in, and, you know, ever since then, we've hung out, and... Might be the greatest guy in the industry right now. Yeah, I mean, he's a great especially guy. Especially when it comes to the, the bottle shop crew, but he's, yeah, he was just an awesome guy to talk to. And he just knows a lot. He's, he knows a bunch, and he did it his way, and he's doing a good job with it. So I was, I was just interested. You know, I see your stuff there, and, and you wonder, like, well, what's that bond, and where, where does it come from? So just just met each other that way. And yeah, like, and he's been so, you know, incredibly supportive of what we were doing because, you know, we I was, you know, we drank beer all the time, and he liked the homebrew, and you know, I was like, yeah, I was oh, well, say, well, maybe we'll do like? this someday. And he's like, oh, well, we'll buy some. And, you know, it starts coming to fruition. I'm like, hey, Dave, would you, would you really buy So when you first got him, when you first got him bottles to, to the beer cellar, was it the old cellar cellar, or was it the, when he... No, no, the, it was it was the new it the, was the, the no longer cellar. Okay. Yeah, it's the current location, just okay. uh, just west of uh, Glen Ellen Main Street on Crescent. There. So when does Afterthought get formed? So, Afterthought, um, the entity, got formed in early 2016, because my wife had been ta- and I had been talking about it, and we actually had a, a different name, same logo, that Cursed A logo. Um, for my homebrew, and it ended up being taken by another brewery, and so and I was disappointed. And so we started thinking, what was like, it? It was Ambrosia, uh-huh. uh, and it became like a canned seasonal release from a place in Pennsylvania. And so I was like, oh, I really like this A logo. So we got to find another A name. And so I'm like doing all this Google Translate and like reading like brewing texts and all this other stuff and like anything that's even remotely possible. It starts the day. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll add that to the list. And I think she was just fed up with me. And she said, the name is an afterthought. It's all about the beer. And she said, use afterthought. And I was like, that's really that great. That is really good. That's really great. That's one of the um, better name stories I've heard, by the way. That's really good. Yeah, so Amy named... The beer is an afterthought. Amy named the, uh, Amy named the brewery. And so I quickly type, you know, into 
like beer advocate and untapped like, and please, please, everything please, like please, please, please don't please. see anything out there as trademark database and i'm like all right i i am not a trademark attorney but i'm going to figure out how to well, I was gonna say try to trademark to something it. uh real fast so I, I pulled together the application and and got that and then you know what was fortuitous because you can with with trademarks you can you don't have to use it for a while you have to keep paying like an extension and saying that you're going to use it um someday and i think I you can do that for to. like a year and a half or three years or something. So we're like, all right, it's not that much money. And now that we've got the name and we really like it, we're going to just, you know, lock that down. And, and then as it happened, um, uh, Flesk Brewing was formerly in this space and they moved to Barrington to, st- to open up their, you know, the larger tap room and everything. And so I heard about that. I'm like, well, you know, I should really look into that because it's, literally a 15 minute walk from my house i can bike here in like five minutes how did that information trickle to you and is it an article that was i think out they, there they like posted just... something on facebook and at that point since we were exploring you know opening the brewery uh i had joined as like an associate member or something the illinois craft brewers guild because it was a pretty small fee and it basically just like got on the listserv and they sent a message one day that was like we've got a you know an exhaust hood for sale and they posted a picture and it was down and it looked empty all around. I'm like, are you guys also like moving or something? He's like, yeah. It's like, all right. And so I, you know, immediately figured out who I needed to contact just to see about renting the place. And it all worked out. I, I bought the, uh, the range hood from them and got the space and everything was pretty much ready to go other than the federal and state approvals taking like seven months. Was that, Pain, I figured lawyer, you'd be fine. You'll figure it out. What, is it a pain in the ass or is it, was it just a hard process or were there it's hiccups? Just, or? They're just slow. It's just slow. Yeah. So we applied, I think we signed the lease here in mid-August 2016. And then within two weeks, applied for the TTB Federal Brewers License and didn't hear a single thing from them until like early February. What? And luckily I'd been, I'd been reading, you know, all sorts of forums cause I'm trying to figure out the paperwork I'm going to have to do once we get started up and running and everything. And on the like message boards for pro brewer, I found said like, Oh, if you've been around like the average wait time or longer, like try to con- contact your Congressman, like maybe they can say something. Uh, so I sent a message to the congressional office, uh, for the district here and, uh, it was like, Hey, here's my problem. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll look into this. And I got a call like two or three days later from the TTB representative. He's like, oh, we've got your application. We've got a few questions. Um, they were they, The answers to those questions were already in the application. I didn't point that out oh. to them, but I'm like... But you wanted to. I, I really <laughs> wanted to. <laughs> but I was like, here, here are your answers. And it was like three days later that we got the approval. What? Jesus. It's like, I should have been reading this message wow. sooner. See you guys, it's a lesson. Call your congressman when you need things. You know, try, don't be afraid. Yeah, or don't maybe be afraid I just to participate. got really, really lucky. I should have done that sooner. Because I think most <laughs> places, you know, they're doing the build out. They're waiting for their equipment. Like, yeah. literally, I half of our equipment is what I was homebrewing with in my garage. Yeah. And the other half is the exact same thing that we set up right next to it that I ordered from a homebrew shop online. Uh, actually, I think I ordered that directly from Blickman because I saved a little <laughs> bit of money that way. Nice. Um, but so we were, we could have been up and ready to go like two weeks after signing the lease. Oh, wow. And so we're just sitting here waiting. <laughs> come on, come on. Which yeah. was, which was really rough. Well, yeah, because you're paying money and things while you're not yeah, doing you're anything. Yeah, you're paying know? rent to do nothing, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that, so Flesk used to be in this space, and you didn't, didn't have a previous relationship with them other than seeing it on the board. So did you like that? You- no, because I mean, because they didn't have a tap room here. So we'd have, um, you know, there are a few places around downtown Lombard that would have, you know, either their cans or mm-hmm. you know, their stuff on draft. But I, you know, didn't personally know them or anything. Just was it funny kind of lucked like, into a lot of things. Did you get them to laugh when you're like, I'll have the, I'll take the range hood and the building as and well. And the space like, if I yeah. can. <laughs> I will also you know, I mean, take they, the they were su- They were super friendly. They were great to deal with. They, you know, helped out and introducing us, you know, to the people of the village and stuff that we needed to talk to. So they're very gracious and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, everything worked out and by all accounts, what I've heard, everything's going to great for them in Barrington, which I still need to get to. It's hard with, with this and work and life. kids and Just family and it's general, like 45 yeah. minutes away. We actually were out there for like Christmas photos with our kids last year and we finished up and it was like 10, 15. I was like, Oh, they're not open. And they didn't open until like noon or something. I was like, ah, oh, we maybe could have, you know, swung it for 45 minutes having the kids like watch them on the iPad. But... I was going to say, that's a long wait for children. Yes. Yeah. I kind of, I lost out on that one. I, I pitched it. I was not, you you not always pitch. You always idea. have to pitch. You got to pitch it. Yeah. But... If you're not going to pitch it, then what good are you? I mean, you got to try it. Uh, so, you know, for, for those of you if you have, that are listening that haven't maybe heard of afterthought yet, um, like we said, you can walk into your local beer cellar. Like how, how many, uh, how many bottles usually do you have available there? It vary quite a bit. Yeah, it varies quite a bit. So for a while, we, you know, we there was a there was a period where I think we might have had like six to eight different things that were on the shelf there, uh, and then I think about a month ago they actually they ran out of everything and didn't have anything for a while. But now we delivered three things a couple weeks ago. It was a Fable Saison Mir and Petite Mir, uh, the Fable Yellow Plum, and I. Th- think that one might have sold out by now but then we also delivered a beer called spent black and red uh a few days ago Spent black and red yeah so the story behind that one was uh we have a a member club called blended barrel and the two most recent releases for that were uh black raspberry and raspberry and so what we ended up doing and this is i first got the idea from jester king because they do this with quite a few different beers was that you've got all this extra fruit and it's not, you know, entirely, you know, devoid of any character still. And so when we bottled those beers, we actually had two barrels of Saison Mir that had been in them for the barrel for a bit longer than we normally do. And they'd gotten a little more earthy and funky and oaky. So I've been thinking about what to blend them with because I, I liked them, but I didn't love them as they were. And then as I was thinking about that and we're emptying everything uh, and, all three of us, uh, Danny, Chuck, and myself, were all all there that day. I was like, let's let's just throw all this fruit into a fermenter and then transfer these barrels onto it because we figured like you brighten them up, you know, it's got this earthy funkiness, but let's brighten them up with some of the fruit, and I think it worked out really well. And that was the the the, the club release you're saying that was the no, so that was the the black raspberry and the raspberry oh, were the club okay. releases, and then this spent. This- Black and red uh, black was and delivered red. To, to beer cellar a couple days ago. So that and it, what is your uh, your vehicle your size of the bottles usually? Are they are uh, three hundred fifty. So as of right now, everything is five hundred milliliters, so sixteen point nine ounces. We have um, some of the more regular releases that are you know not necessarily barrel aged, like uh, Fable and this Table Cascade. Uh, 
are going to be in 330 milliliter bottles, which is pretty standard for like, if you had like yeah. the small bottles, like Saison DuPont, those four packs and things like that, or a lot of like, uh, Trappist beers are in those bottles. Yeah. So we've got actually, I think like four batches of beer bottled up in those now, but I don't have the labels yet. <laughs> so as soon as I have the labels, which should be in the next couple of weeks, we'll have a lot of those available. So what are your, uh, kind of your staples? I mean, so I, I've seen, uh, what was the one you said, the Jeez, you're just saying the one you ate, plum one, the plum one you just had. So that's Fable with Fable. yellow plum. And so I think Fable's what we've made the most of so far. Um, other than, I mean, I think over half of our batches have been Saison Mir. But those frequently, you get turned, either they end up with a different type of fruit or they get that's, blended okay. into something else. Um, or I uh, <laughs> mess up with the mill and the crush or something like that, or I'm not paying attention. And instead of turning into a 5% beer, it's a 3% beer. And that's how Petite Mirror was born. The first one, petite the, the second batch was an intentionally petite. Uh, but Fable was the one where I, I thought I was just like, eh, we've got some, you know, we're gonna put some American hops in this. Uh, it's, you know, not gonna be barrel aged. It's just gonna, you know, it's gonna ferment a little bit quicker still. I mean, it still probably takes like four to six weeks on average. Um, and we're just going to put that out there. I like it. It's easy drinking and people have really, really liked it and asked about it way more than anything else. I think so. We brewed a lot of that. Yeah. it's. I was, I was not expecting that. Uh, I had one with, uh, with rose hips in it. Was that one of the fables as well? That was. No. So that's, uh, that Oran? Saison Aran. Okay. Saison uh, yeah. Aran. Aran. Anything, anything behind the names with Fable and Oran, like just translations from French or? Yeah, some of them are translations. Some of them, like Oran uh, is actually, if I'm remembering correctly, which I think I am, I, and this is, I've been homering this beer for you know, five plus years, is uh, the first five, Oran is the first five letters of the Latin word for orange. Like it's really, it's like 15 letters long. I was like, oh. Iran, that sounds good because it's got a, uh, it's got citrus zest and rose hips. You didn't want to go the whole way. Huh? Didn't want to yeah. go the whole way. I was like, I'm not going to know how to pronounce that. But you know, mirror is the Dutch word for lake, because all of the all the ingredients, anything that's labeled as saison mirror, all of the ingredients are from uh, midwestern states, almost without fail, all from Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Uh, we've used some spelt from Ohio. Uh, but most of our grain is from a place called Sugar Creek in uh, just outside West Lafayette in uh, Indiana. And Caleb is the, the guy who runs that. He's great, and he's got some really cool ideas for stuff that he wants to malt. And I'm really excited to be able to try some of that. Yeah. And then we've also worked with uh, Duffin Station in Illinois as a, another small malt house. And then for the most part, uh, we found a few hop suppliers. Uh, Hollowed Hops is in Illinois, uh, and we've used some stuff from them. Uh, most of our hops have been from, there are a few different places. There's like Michigan Hop Alliance, Michigan Local Hops, and uh, Hophead Farms in Michigan. So we've ordered from all of them. And then there's uh, Liberty Hops in uh, in Indiana. So that's where the vast majority of our try to ingredients keep everything come from. local, try to keep it, you know. Yeah, and then we've, we've done a few beers like the we made a blend called Beer to Pieces 3 that was you know, a blend of different things, one of which was uh, a batch that had all of the... We've got a bunch of different fruit bushes in our yards. So it was like Josta berries, currants, gooseberries. What's a Josta berry? So Josta berry is a mix between a black currant and a red gooseberry. 
And so it's, it's bigger, like, you know, grape size, like a, a gooseberry is, but it's got some of that woody, earthy, tannic character from Black Current. Those are really good. And then it had uh, service berries, which kind of look like a blueberry, uh, but they grow on trees. And they're pretty prevalent around here. They're also known as Saskatoons. I think they have a few other names as well. Saskatoons. But we've got a pretty decently size, a decent sized tree in our front yard, and they, and they taste great. See, you kind of like you're kind of foraging stuff. I mean, yeah, foraging stuff like, from like scratch. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like scratch. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the dandelions for uh, we did a saison mire dandelion uh, last year. Uh, again, this year, uh, all of it is in gin barrels. This year. Or gin barrel, I should say. In ah gin barrel. Yeah, ah gin barrel. Well, we don't make that much of it because uh, the first two batches, all of the dandelions are from our yard, uh, and there are only so many hours I can spend laying around in our grass picking <laughs> dandelions uh, before my wife says you really have to mow the lawn now. <laughs> I try to use no, that no. as an excuse. One for, more no, week. One more week yeah. of dandelion harvests. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we try to get the toddlers to help us out, but they're they throw more grass and other don't. stuff in than they do dandelion heads. So, yeah, that might not work out so well. Dandelion heads. Yeah, it's crazy that you can do that, though. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's, like, I, what I does love, that bring to the like? What does that bring to the beer? It's a uh, slightly floral, but I'd say more so herbal character, maybe faintly citrusy. I, I really like it. Okay. And we're using, we use only the dandelion heads. If you use any of the leaves or roots or the stems, uh, some breweries will use those in place of hops because they, they're fairly bitter. Oh, okay. But you, that, that it's just separating the head of it will just give you a little more of that characteristic yeah, just, you're looking for Just popping for the head off the stem, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, see, that's crazy. I didn't even know you could do that. You could just go take the Andalans out and, and add a flavor to a beer. Yeah, and we we did a lilac beer uh, that was with, uh, last year's version, it was with lilacs from my parents' yard in Lombard, a few blocks from like the how brewery. How much do you need to make? So we used about a pound. And how much beer did you yield? Batch. Okay. So what's your system? What would you call it? Like your brew house, I guess. It would be one barrel or... <sighs> Between a barrel and a half and two barrels, depending on the beer. Because so we've got the the we've got two identical systems, so to speak, that are side by side. Each okay. one has a thirty gallon kettle, but there's a little attachment that we've got on the top of it that ex- extends it a little bit. So usually we yield between like twenty five and twenty eight gallon. I mean, I'm still talking gallons. Yeah. Which oh. it, for everyone's reference, one day. a barrel is is thirty one gallons. One day you'll be. More than that, though. Yeah, yeah, one day. I mean, I'll still think in gallons. I think for a while. I mean, It'll be a we're while. talking about going up to a five barrel, which is a lot yeah. bigger for me, but it's still More 155 gallons. gallons. I'm still going to think in gallons. You're like still going to be gallons. Ounces per gallon for hops. I'm not thinking about pounds per barrel. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you balance all this with day job and family, children, all that stuff? I mean, how, how do you find the way to do it where it works? Uh, yeah, I mean, as I say, it's, this is my hobby. Like, this is what I do outside of family and work, you know, outside of, you know, hanging out, watching baseball or football or something. Like, this is pretty much what I do. Football tonight, first game. Football first tonight, game first tonight, game, yeah. yeah. Fantasy football? You doing fantasy football? Yeah, uh, well. another hobby? Yeah, uh, not really. I like it because it has me pay attention to more than the Bears. Yeah, uh, I feel the but, same. And way. I also like to use it to like track players, you know, from college who I've liked or, you know, something like that. Or, you know, I went to Illinois, so I like to, you know, the, I think there were like 17 players from Illinois in the 
in the NFL. I don't know how that's possible, given how bad we've been, been for so long. It hasn't long. been good for a while, yeah. Um, it hasn't been very good for a while. But it is, it's a good way to keep in track. And so I basically canceled all, like, friend leagues that, you know, it's like 50 or 100 bucks a league. Yeah. No, that's just, like, throwing money away. You gotta so we have got to consolidate. So we've got a family league that's 10 bucks a person. Uh, so I do that one. Very reasonable. So did you grow up in Lombard, too? Is this area significant? This, yeah, area. I grew up in Naperville. Okay. One of those guys, huh? No. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the very south end of Naperville uh, when it was still mostly cornfields around yeah. our house when we uh, when we moved in. It's a different world then. Yeah, it was a different world then. It's very different now. <laughs> so I mean, then you left. You left. Years. So you're in Champaign for a good chunk. Then you're in, then you're in, uh, on the East Coast, basically over in D.C. And then what makes you come back? Like why? Why what, were you brewing out there while you were in? What was it? West Virginia? Or? Yeah, it was in, in Virginia. So yeah, I, I yeah miss Chicago. Everything about it. Yeah. I mean, why? So why'd you leave? You just uh, so stuff yeah, I, you I had do, to do, uh, like government regulatory work. Okay. For yeah, this is my day job. So as most of the jobs for that are in are in DC. So what was the decision like? I know I, I'm circling around all over the place, but when what was it when you when you decided like you needed to add brewers? I mean, obviously time and all that. That is that. I mean, is that hard for you though? Is like your company, so your thing. You guys, you guys built this thing, and you're brewing all the beer. Is it hard to kind of be like here? you take these recipes or is it no no it's, it's been it's been fantastic um i mean chuck and danny are both are both great um you know danny i knew uh he worked at the beer cellar uh so i knew him through that and he had some great homebrew that i tasted so um when we put up the post i was hoping you know danny might apply come on, it was like two come minutes on, it was like two, it was like two minutes later <laughs> <laughs> um, like I know he's gonna apply. So I yeah, know we it. had we had a great interview where he walked in. And I was like, this, you know, it's gonna be real tough, and just basically was like, do you want to work for us? Um, and then you know we got applications from a lot of people because we posted on our Facebook page, Instagram, like other you know websites. Um, and uh, Chuck, you know, interviewed and you know hit it off right away, and he started with us a couple weeks later. And, you know, it's been fantastic. I mean, now we are able to, ex- I had so many ideas in so little time to do it. So we've been able to experiment uh, a lot more. And they're both, you know, very talented brewers, probably more talented than me. I'm not very proficient. Like, I've gravitated toward this style. It's like, oh, what's the mash temperature again? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> like, it's it's warm. Yeah. Uh, so... It works well. How'd that style. work out relaying <laughs> what you did to that? Like, uh, you know, yeah, they're was, trying to recreate what you do, right? I well, mean, it made it easy and hard because, like, if you're, like, if you came as, like, someone, like, I'm sure, like, you know, someone from Dovetail, it's like, they're making these beautiful German Dude, beers. Hagen. Hagen so and Bill. proficient and technical. And, yeah. And you know, I'm working here and it's like, what's the mash temperature? And it's like, I don't know, 150-ish. Ish, ish. A lot of ishes. 145 to one fifty-five ish. What's the fermentation temperature? I don't know. Look at the thermostat. That's the fermentation temperature. <laughs> I don't know. Write um, that shit down. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I don't. That's hilarious. That's good. So it's a, no, and that's what I mean. Beer. It's all about what it tastes and feels. So yeah, that made like the you know quote unquote training process really easy because we're we're using glorified homebrew equipment and their the recipes are <laughs> not very precise. And so I think with each of them, we brewed once when I was there. And I was like, all right, cool. So you, you, when, when do you want to brew? Yeah, it's comfortable. Everybody's good. Yes. All right, I'm out of here. Yeah, it's been great. So I actually, I think it was about three months between times when I brewed and they were starting to tease me about that. So uh, 
on uh, on Sunday, uh, this past Sunday, the day before Labor Day, I I brewed my first batch in a while and rolled up your sleeves and got in there. Huh? Didn't screw anything up as nice. far as I know. So uh, now, what's what's the what's changed now? So process wise, are you guys are you just kind of like, hey, if you guys come up with something, let's try it out, or so or it's like, no, we only have I- time and and ability to do these recipes, you know. So yeah, that's I, that's the eventual goal. Is well, it'll be more collaborative. <laughs> uh, for right now, I've got so many ideas, and I've bought so many hops and fruit um, that it's like, all right, let's let's use all the ingredients okay. that I purchased and never used because I had way too many ideas and not nearly enough time. Uh, so we're still working our way through that. So we're gonna do, I think, some hoppier saisons uh, coming out. Chuck brewed uh, um, one with Equinot uh, last weekend and one with. Uh, El Dorado. And then there have been like different herbs and stuff that I want to try. We've got uh, like a garden in our backyard. So Danny did uh, one with lemon verbena that tastes really great out of the fermenter. And then one with uh, pineapple sage, which isn't, isn't quite as strong, but it's nice. Now, is this eventually, I mean, I, I keep saying future and eventually and down the road, but like with, with the two guys now since June, are you producing more? Are you getting oh, yeah, more? Way more. So you got way more to, to Yeah, offer. so I think in the past like three months, we've produced almost as much as we had in the preceding year plus. So is there, is there plans to get into more areas, more places, kind of move the beer throughout the, the, the suburbs in the city? Or is well, I it think kind first of like, we're going to find out if people buy it, yeah, yeah. Um, and how, you know, it may, maybe the answer is that we end up making 20 barrels a year and that with, you know, two additional brewers, we make, you know, twice as much beer. Uh, maybe that's what it'll be. Maybe we'll sell a lot more. People will be interested in saisons, and it's really goddamn good. I think people just need to get it in some people's hands. I mean, just gotta get people to taste it, and I think they'll be sold. Cause yeah, I don't know. And the beer seller team's done an amazing job exactly. with that. Because I mean, <laughs> luckily for me, everybody who works there seems to like it a lot. So they uh, they they do a good job selling it, and interest seems to be picking up, which is uh, which is a good thing. <laughs> Dave and I drank one like it was like nine thirty in the morning. We were sitting there eating <laughs> eating McDonald's breakfast and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that doing was the podcast I, I sitting there, that, uh, sitting there drinking the, one of your one of your beers. The time when I do have to listen to podcasts, oh, which yeah. is usually when I've got, uh, for some reason, like my wife and kids, you know, take off to her to our in laws live in South Bend, and they they take off the day before, and I can't, you know, get out of work, so I'm driving by myself for two South and a half Bend hours. Ride, and it's like, yeah. all right, I've got time to like listen to a podcast, but I try to listen to them on the train, but I'm like, I, I my attention span's not. I can't just sit there. I don't expect listen. anyone to listen to this podcast ever, but some people do. So. Well, it's a good conversation, so I'm yeah. enjoying it. Thank you. Oh, well, no, man. Thanks for being on. I, I've just had, I've got a lot of people interested in you. And then I was telling you before we started, like, I, I, I didn't know it was you, but I saw you at Moore Brewing on Monday. Yep, I'm yeah, thinking, nice, like, oh, look, uh, another nice family lunch. I'm, I'm ready to be like, look, another Afterthought fan over there. All right. That guy must be pretty awesome. And then, <laughs> it turns out then it's just me. And you walked in and you're wearing the shirt, and I'm like, huh. I'm like, were you at more? Yeah, yeah, I was at more. I could have, could have come said hi to you. Yeah, yeah, it just appears that we have a lot of fans now yeah. because I'm just, just wearing the shirt spread. and people. You are, give me one of those shirts. I I'll go wear around that shit to, to beer bars and breweries, and everybody's like, everywhere I go, just, I see an afterthought shirt. Yeah, it's just me. This goddamn afterthought keeps popping up. I, and you're doing, you're doing something right, man. That's for sure. I've definitely had people email and, and, and ta- you know, like social media stuff saying, you know, they wanted to hear about afterthought. Cause I think people are really intrigued by breweries like, like you, um, you know, I think my thought process with the podcast was like, Oh, you know, more reputable, more trendy, more larger breweries are going to generate more listens, more, you know, more people, you know, trying, trying to, trying to 
find out more. But the thing is, is like I don't know if you're familiar with Wagley Square. Uh, Wagley Square is like a you know he's a lawyer as well just so happens uh-huh. but uh, he does you know this beer with a purpose uh, you know that picked up a lot of a lot of uh downloads and things because people are interested in what they don't know about yet so i mean sure plenty of people know who afterthought is don't get me wrong but i mean you you know there's a huge bunch of people that have never heard of you and you know i think i think guys like dave and and you know the patrons of places like that and ironing glass so in romeoville like when they're starting to have a friend and these these opportunities to share bottles with 20 30 people at a time when you can walk into places like those and bring a bottle in and share it with everybody it's like please your beer is getting that kind of lore about it now. And when you have guys that are respected, like Ryan Jacobs comparing you to Hill Farmstead of Illinois, you know, it's, it's bound to go somewhere, you know, it's bound to have more people want, want, want that product. So, I mean, I know it's weird to like answer or rebut to what I'm saying to you right now. <laughs> I know. All, all I'd say is, yeah, I, I hope, you know, more people get into it. I mean, I hope more breweries, you know, start to focus on the style. I mean, uh, if I can make you, you mentioned quarter, I'll make a plug and I've, I've teased them about this on social media, uh, just from my personal account of the times. But when they first opened, they had a beer called uh, cotton candy goat, which was this like petite Saison that had like notes of like pear and vanilla. And it did almost taste a little bit like cotton candy. And it was so good. I went there. I don't know how many, I probably drank half the first batch. I had probably four growlers and That's six growlers. Back again. He's just, and I, he's I, just I, it's probably been a few thing. months since I tweeted at him and be like, Hey, are you guys going to make this again? Um, so now you got to bother Eric. So everybody, now. everybody else needs to start uh, bothering them and saying, make cotton candy goat again. Cotton but candy yeah. goat. Let's, let's bring that up. Cause Eric, Eric Padilla took over that, that brewer, brewer ship now, right? Cause Roger went over to Maplewood Roger was the guy that was there uh-huh. and whoever, I don't remember who opened corridor. Maybe when they were in the early days, it was somebody else that made that recipe. We need to track them down though. One way or another. Yes, please. No, I want to try it. But yeah, I, I would love, you know, it's, uh, hopefully the style catches on a little bit or, and, you see more breweries making it and you know you see more breweries pop up around the country um doing you know things like this like there's you know uh garden path fermentation which is ron extract who was formerly with jester king um oh, Wolves right, and right. i've heard of there. great things about him specifically yeah plus and, what I, a great last like your name is extract, extract that's pretty right. badass but yeah, that that's. Uh, I think you know more people like you make more beer like that. I think that won't be a problem to have that style. Yeah, and have it kick up. And and you know what I've been saying. You know we've got you know scratch is not particularly close. You know given you know way far uh, down it's south like in Illinois. Metropolis, Illinois, or something. It's like way a- down Ava, the tip. Illinois, down the tip of Illinois. Yeah, which I think is like slightly south of St. Louis. Um, obviously, still in Illinois. Uh, but you know you know the Midwest is traditionally you know produce you've got all the grains you can grow hops here you've got a lot of fruit um yeah. and just a lot of farmland it seems like you know given the backstory behind saisons like it's something that should be really happening here not to mention the fact that uh jolly pumpkin you know is the originator um in terms of like barrel age saison and saison style beers in the united states as far as i know and they're in michigan so it should have you know it should have sprung out from there but yeah. we've kind of lagged behind the uh the northeast and the the northwest i think the uh the the component of you adding things like you know the 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 different fruits and stuff i think that kind of helps bring in you know the guy who like is dabbling in sours or Mm -hmm. you know we talked i just talked about more brewing like we were both there i mean more brewing is one of those people that we talked earlier about the the heavily fruited 
Berliner and things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, like, so what do you think about that style? I mean, is that something that you, you I enjoy it. It's just not for me, you know, to do. Yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Like, I mean, like the heavily fruited Berliners and stuff like is more like a few ounces that I like really like to try it and see what it's like. But um, Whoa, I like I like stuff that's like super drinkable. You know, I try to go, you know, go with, I t- you know, mentioned like Terrace Bulb or like Bam Beer from Jolly Pumpkin. That's just like Smooth and Chris, you know, Pilsner's traditional pale ales. Like I drink a lot of Daisy Cutter. Um, you know, and you should. Yeah. And we always, we, we've got uh, eight taps on at home. So we normally have, you know, at least a keg or two from from Half Acre and one from Revolution. What do you Usually need eight taps from, at home for? That's what I want to know. I've got a lot of That's neighbors a lot and of a lot beer. of family nearby. Okay. During football okay. season, they go through it quickly. Damn variety, though, man. Yeah, got to have a little bit of variety. That's good. I thought two was good. I was like, man, I'm pretty lucky. I got yeah, two. Yeah, we went from two to eight, eight, and it was nice. Yeah. Built a keyser, I take it. So, yeah, yeah, it's nice and big. Yeah, homemade. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, not, yeah. it's not good looking. But <laughs> no? <laughs> and it serves the purpose. Now, I'm in the process. I say, quote, in the process. I've had the wood for like a year of wrapping it you know, in cedar so that it actually looks kind of nice rather than you know being all put together. Yeah. Um, as long as the beer comes out of it the right way and at the right temperature, it's good, right? Yeah, yeah. we've got temperature control. We've yeah. got flow control faucets, so it's, it's all good on that, on that side. That's nice, though. I, mean, I'm, I would come to your house for football if you had eight beers on tap. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even tens, if I, tens even tens I didn't more like people you, in. I'd go. <laughs> like, I guess yeah, I, I mean, that's why we have eight taps, right? Nobody likes me, so I just... <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, you you have a great story and you're making great beer. So man, that that's my humble opinion, and I've heard it from from other people too. So I definitely wanted to get you on here. Uh, I know I heard you on with the guys over at ABV Chicago not too long ago, right? You were on, you were on their show at some point. Yeah, yeah, that right? wasn't too long ago. Ryan and Craig, they were awesome. So I'm like, man, I really got to talk to this guy. This is uh, this is a cool experience. It's a cool spot, man. I'm picturing one day like, whoa, this could be a tap room, and you could have a whole other space you're doing all this in, all your science. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think eventually, you know, this might just be like you know, smaller, mostly barrels, and still have like the smaller system in here, especially with the amount of like transfers that you can do under some of the new rules. Uh, so, I mean, there's no way we'll be able to grow as much as we want to in here, just because, you know, as you can see, like behind you, like I don't know, like twenty percent of the brewing floor, probably not that much, is taken up by pallets of bottles because we bottle nearly everything. Uh, and they take up a lot of space. So a lot of bottles. We're gonna we're gonna run out of space here pretty soon. Um, you know, we can do barrel racks and stuff, but even then, we're not gonna have that much more space. So before no. too long, we'll have to figure out uh, something else if if we continue to grow. I mean, is there anything else? I mean, you have anything down the road here that's near future plans and next releases, anything like that you want to talk about before we before we wrap it up? So it was like, I talked about, so we've got the Table Cascade and Fable coming out soon. Um, other than that, we're going to have, I have pumpkin beer that's hopefully going to hit by Thanksgiving. Pumpkin beer. Talk about all the seasonal creep. We're going to do it in the opposite direction. And I'm, fingers crossed that it's ready before Thanksgiving and it's not a January release. Uh, maybe we'll just save it until next year. We'll see. But it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's got Illinois... Illinois or Michigan pumpkins, I forget. Maybe it's a combination of the two because I, I took a while to get enough pumpkin together. And I've been, yeah. you know, chopping it, baking it, freezing it, uh, my wife and I. And then uh, it's got minimal spicing. Very, like, probably what a lot, a lot of people might make a pumpkin beer is, you know, homebrew batch for five gallons. That's what we're doing in 25 or 30 gallons. Okay. 
So very minimal spicing. Uh, Just with a touch. Pumpkin, pumpkin chunks in the mash. It's, you know, like amberish in color. And then the plan is to do release some of it like that. Uh, just, you know, bottle condition with, with table sugar like most of the beers. And then what I did uh, when I was homebrewing the last time I made this was then bottle conditioned it with tart cherry juice. So got some like Montmorency cherry juice and used that okay. as the priming sugar. Oh, nice. For the beer. And it turned out really well last time. So we'll see if we can do that again here and if and when it'll be ready. All right. So the the fable release is that is that a just kind of an untouched fable or is it added? You add anything to that one? Untouched. Or? Yeah, That's I think we've got three batches of just straight, straight fable, fable straight to fable. be released. You know, we've got the labels ordered, and I think they're in the process of being printed. So nice. It'll be soonish. Yeah, man. I look forward to seeing more people drinking your beer. I mean, I know I'm gonna start bringing your shit to shares and things like that, just to kind of, you know, people need to try it. And if you don't get it to people to try it, they'll never know. But so I'm just ready to kind of move some of your beer to, to some of the people in, in our neck of the woods. So I mean, you know, Glen Ellen's kind of a hike for some people, but I I try to get up there just to get you know something that I can't get anywhere near me. So I think it's, uh, I think the fruited thing is the thing that like is helping kind of just kind of move people over there like look look guys it's got fruit in it too look, yeah it's got people, stuff. people really like there's the fruit beers. We've used some, yeah we've it. used like, some obscure fruits i really liked um we should hopefully have something coming out again in the nearest future but definitely in the future again um is the pawpaw fruit which is just uh we got yeah, it from what's ohio that, what's a pawpaw fruit like? it's a fairly obscure fruit because it spoils so quickly okay but it tastes i've heard it described it's like mango or banana or citrus, but oh, to me it did. You just taste said like, all the magic words. It right tasted there. like um, a mild mango, kind of mixed with like a vanilla y custard. I just, I just said vanilla, so that's vanilla. another yeah. magic word. Hot button um, words, and it's really, really fantastic. So we're gonna. I think that harvest is normally like in the end of September. Uh, so we should be able to order a bunch more. Got to um, be fresh as all hell then. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it even survives in transit. So most of the wow. places, what we've got, we found it's a far, it is a mango, or not mango, but pawpaw farm. But what they do is I think uh, just immediately, um, you know, they take all the pulp and mash it up and vacuum seal it and freeze it. Oh, wow. So it comes frozen, but it's not like. Is it pawpaw at P-A-W-P-A-W? Or yeah. Is it, okay, pawpaw. I yeah, I think two, I think two words. research on that. Like, like uh, Unane did, did a aronia berry, you know, mm-hmm. salt. And I, was, I had no idea what the fuck aronia berry was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do uh, all sorts of, you know, fun stuff. Like I was saying, like the service berries. I'm excited to do yeah, uh, to that again. Berry. I've, I've you know, always, them. we try to get, you know, as we're talking, you know, all the local fruit that we can from Illinois and Michigan farms. But, uh, you know, I'm constantly like looking on like gourmet food websites for places that have like, you know, frozen puree that's basically just some obscure fruit that's pureed and frozen okay. that's you know usually like i think for like the cocktail industry or people make like ice creams or sherbets out of them uh because you don't see too many things with passion fruit but it's not too unusual to go to a restaurant and see like passion fruit sorbet or something mm-hmm. like that so when's your uh, new england ipa coming out and your uh let's see your pastry stout and <laughs> just do you ever force yourself down the road making like pale ales and things or just we think about that sometimes. I think if we did, uh, I mean, like I don't, personally, I don't now, really see? personally like New England IPAs that much, so that probably wouldn't be part of it. Uh, but you know, maybe well, yeah. something under like a different name. If we have a tap room, you know, we could do guest taps, or we could do 
you know, something that was under a, a separate name or something. Like a Hubbard's like that kinda, Cave versus yeah, like the Hubbard's setup, Cave or yeah. side projects got shared and Jolly mm-hmm. Pumpkins got North Peak. You know, something yeah. like that. To Did you see Windmill even they got differentiated. Uh, no, their assistant brewer uh, Mikey's mm-hmm. doing like a foreign local. I think they're calling it. Okay, I've seen cans of it and stuff. It's pretty cool. But yeah, that idea. I mean, so much. Never cool say stuff never. Out never say now. never. But that's yeah. not in the uh, not in the immediate plans. Well, yeah. yeah, by that time, you know, you might have just letting what's Greg and. Or, uh, Danny and Chuck. Danny and Chuck. They'll just be, they'll just be on their way, just doing doing their own thing. I mean, you never know. Like, yeah, what, so, what, I mean, I'm not even sure we. Could, I'm not even sure we could make a clean beer if we wanted to right now. We actually, uh, we did one. Uh, the table beer. We got a fresh pitch of uh, of saison yeast, and it was a new fermenter. And like two weeks in, it had a pellicle. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, they always say, you know, I've heard a lot of that. Uh, you know, if you're going to do mess with that stuff, you need to have your own separate, you know. Yeah, Usually it's, it's the other way around. Usually you're making a bunch of pale ales and stouts and, pour, you know, porters and stuff, and then you want to dabble in sours or something. So you're like, oh, you got to have your own separate equipment. For you guys, it's like, all you do is this. Yeah. Now it's do. the other one. We need a clean set. Yeah, and I mean, it's intentionally, you know, spreading the culture everywhere. Because you go to, like, Cantillon or other Lambic breweries, and they've got, you know, the rafters. They've got the spider webs, and... You know, you've got the you know the yeast living in the wood, so that when the you know the it evaporates from the cool ship, it's going up into the beams and then falling back down as it uh, as it cools off. And so you know, same thing here. You know, most you know most of the stuff is just cleaned with like warm water rather than using a bunch of sanitizer and anything that plastic that we have gets totally scratched up. Uh, so there's you know somewhere to harbor the yeast, and we've got you know all the different barrels, and there's wood all over the place. Um, that's got to have the culture in it because you know if i you know got wooden beams between the barrels and if i spill beer on that i'm certainly not cleaning it up i just let it kind of soak in yeah. so i'm sure it's in the air at this point that's awesome that's a good thing that's good how bad do you want a cool ship how much would you like to have a cool ship that or do you not that'll care? happen yeah yeah like dovetail love that love that you can yeah there's not that. room here i mean we, this this winter will take some work and i'll just put it out uh you know, under, and I've, in the past, we've got like a, a huge walnut tree and I've just left, you know, pots out under that. Um, we'll mess around with that, but I mean, it'll be a while before we can do like a full scale. Legit, spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's not, it's, it's something to shoot for. I don't know, man. It's, it's a cool style and it's just so much fun to hear people talk about it and describe it. So much passion in it too. I mean, like people Yeah, really it's such do. a passion project and it's the same, you know, idea or, you know, take so much inspiration from that where it's all, you know, lambic recipes aren't particularly complicated. And it's all just, you know, taking the fermentation character, taking, you know, especially for them, you know, blending and deciding what are you going to blend into what? What are you going to do with fruit? What are you going to serve straight? What are you going to dump, frankly? So, I mean, um, yeah, it's great. And to do something like that eventually would be would be fantastic. Well, let's wrap it up, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. An hour and 15 minutes we put in here. Got to learn a little more about Afterthought. Is there anything else you want to cover before we head it? No, I think that's it. Thank Ah, you for having me. Thanks again, man. Cheers. Cheers.